You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where there are times in the Green Lantern comic that I know are supposed to be for the leads. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Ingle, and what I do is cover the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with the cover date November 2004, and specifically the ones that deal with Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. Not so much Guy Gardner this time. But this time around, Kyle Rayner is back in all his glowy... DVD wearing goodness as we're taking a look at Green Lantern number 155, a pivotal issue in the Kyle Rayner run, as he suddenly becomes, well, you'll find out what he becomes. And once again, to cover this issue, I'm joined by my good friend, co-host of Better in the Dark, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back, Mr. Thomas DJ. <laughs> Wipe out. <laughs> You know, I love this cover. This was one of the covers that, you know, when I when I saw it on uh, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, yeah. I was like, "That is a cool cover." It now, this had, is the month where they had all had like these graphical design elements in them, right? It might have been. I'll have to go take a look at the at Mike's to see. But this is just, it's an interesting homage to sort of the uh, Will Eisner spirit type thing. Mm-hmm. I like it, but... That might be why that month happened, because I think that... I'm not absolutely sure, certain. I think that Eisner passes away around this time. That that might be the case, and if so, it's a wonderful homage to, to his artwork and the, you know, the sort of design element he brought to the spirit books. But, yeah, it has nothing to do with anything. See, I want to read this story! Or Kyle surfing. Yes. Why is Kyle surfing? You know, why is he surfing in space? That's one hell of a way. Yes. You see Earth in the background there. Yes. Surfing in space. Well, yeah, you know, if this if this were Ron Mars, I'd understand because his association with the Silver Surfer. But you know, right. But yeah, we'll be getting into issue 145 after we take this brief podcast promo break. We'll catch you after the promos. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. Oh no! What will we do now? R2D2, you found a cigarette! Well, I don't think smoking is grown up at all. Oh, don't be so ridiculous, R2. Under rules are for Earthlings. <laughs> all you need is a little rewiring. But children need to be fully immunized. I'm Jawa. Want to buy a droid? Show me what you got. Wampa, wampa, wampa! We picked up something. It's the Millennium Falcon. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Growing up Star Wars. Yay! Available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. Offer expires May 31st, 1980. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. <coughs> <coughs> no. 
No, no, that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff. But what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Something like Thor or Captain America? Uh, Both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar. Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? And we are back. So, we're going to go ahead and look at issue number 145. This one was cover dated February of 2002 and released on December 5th of 2001. The cover price again, 225 US, 375 Canada, and the title once again was The Battle of Fire and Light, which is odd because the last one was The Battle of Fire and Light. So, boo on you, Judd Winnick, for not coming up with an original title. Like it's I said, like the okay. equivalent of like one of those songs where towards the tail end they just run out of words and it's just like they just repeat the, the title over and over and over again. So, so basically, like every police song ever. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't mean to diss on the police, but, you know, because I love them. I think they're they're one of my favorite bands from the 80s and late 70s. And they they wrote some great songs. But if you listen to any of their songs, they will take one line, sometimes the lyric, and just repeat it over and over again till the song fades out. So, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. The writer for this one, of course, was Judd Winnick. The penciler, again, was Dale Eaglesham. Inker was Rodney Ramos. The colorist was Moose Bowman. Letterer Chris Eliopoulos. Assistant editor, Nachi Castro. And the editor was Bob Schreck. In space, no one can hear you monologue. So we have to sit through tons of caption boxes describing Kyle Rayner and Alex Nero's construct field battle to claim the latent power of Parallaxivia. Parallaxvian? Sure, why not? Back Oblivilax? Oblivilax. <laughs> that works even better. I'm changing. Oblivilax. Back on Earth, John Stewart and Alan Scott calmly discuss what might have to happen to, in order for Kyle to triumph today, but Jenny reacts in a far more emotional manner. Reaching out to his tearful daughter, Alan tells her that they just get in the way, and they have to have faith in Kyle. Back in the battle, Kyle and Nero are still duking it out, when suddenly a ship from the antimatter universe of Quard pops into the middle of the fracas, releasing space-suited weapons, or whatever reason. Grabbing one of the Cordians, Kyle questions why they decided to show up now of all times, and the weaponer says that they know if Nero gains his power, he will turn against the Cordians like he did against his parents, wiping them all out. However, their real agenda is to make sure that if Kyle succeeds, that Nero is teleported out of Kyle's grasp, so he might fight another day. With their last man, they complete the task, but end up getting their ship blown up real good. Feeling pretty damn powerful, Nero calls Kyle to one final battle, and Kyle accepts, but on his own terms, namely fighting mano a mano in their BVDs in the Matrix waiting room. Kyle and Nero beat the stuffing out of each but eventually Kyle gains the upper hand and is about to deliver the final blow. It's at that time that Kyle sees two doors, one leading to his first encounter with Ganthet in the alley all those many years ago, and one leading to the sun, 
where the power of Oblivilax resides. Realizing that Hal Jordan, the Spectre, is behind all of this, Kyle asks what he's offering. Hal says that he offers nothing. He's just showing them the possibilities. Either deny the ring or accept the power. Hal says that he knows Kyle is a good and honorable man, and the power is only as dangerous as the man who wields it. That's why he has shown Kyle these choices, something he wished that he had been shown before. Accepting his destiny, Kyle flies into the sun, absorbs the power of Green Lantern, Parallax, and Oblivion, and emerges anew as the Ion. This basically changes the entire what I can see for the foreseeable future of Green Lantern. I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, yeah, yes, this is the center, the beginning of the centerpiece of Whitick's run. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it, this is a pretty damn amazing issue. Um, I think I prefer Ingleshim's work, even though there are some really amazingly wonky figure work here. Yeah. Um I think I actually prefer Inkleshams um work here than I did to the previous issue. Yeah, there's a lot of th- this is as you you stayed in a lot of your shows. This is a very punchy punchy run run issue. Yeah. It's a lot of just fighting, but Inklesham has the opportunity to do a lot of unique constructs, a lot of unique stuff. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um before like we jazzercise Jen. Uh, Jen. We'll, we'll get to that. I want to talk okay. about the cover first. You know, we kind of, <laughs> kind of hinted at it at the beginning, but this was one of these covers that just stood out to me when I was looking at it. And I wish I would have picked this up. I wish I would have been collecting at the time because I would have loved to have gotten this. Version. This is a great cover. And like we said, it's a very much an homage to the stuff that you'd see in the Will Eisner spirit stories where you're, part of the background would be the title of the uh, mm-hmm. would be the spirit title. And here we see Kyle Rayner in his classic Green Lantern uniform surfboarding on a giant wave that says Green Lantern. And it's it's beautiful. It really is. It really is great. But again, it has nothing at all to do with the story. I love how the comic code authority seal is being washed away, by the way. Trying to, oh, oh yes, it is. <laughs> that's that's a music. I didn't catch that until right now. Now, I'm not certain if, for for the most part, Green Lantern was one of those issues that still held held on to the Comics Code and still. Ooh, we're coming to the end of the Comics Code Authority, yeah, yeah, because I know there are other issues, uh, specifically Green Arrow, I think, especially mm-hmm. when I was reading them in crossovers didn't seem to have the comics code authority stamp on there because it tended to be a bit more adult. Yeah. But a bit more adult, a bit more mature. They dealt with uh, more mature things. There was a bit more violence in it. So I think they wanted to get away with that, but yeah, I think this is probably, you know, uh, symbolic. We're not that far away from when Marvel, Marvel was the first one to do it. Just abandons the comics code authority hold and DC follows suit shortly afterwards. And, you know, and I know we've talked about this prior, you know, both on air and off air about whether that being a good thing, because that does sort of lead to what both of us feel is a a darkening for both DC and Marvel in their characters and the way their stories are written. Uh, you know, some characters kind of change some attributes of the lines get a bit uncomfortably dark and some fun is kind of lost from the, from this. So I'm wondering, you know, not that I'm saying that the comics code authority was a good thing, but I think them abandoning them, but abandoning it and allowing themselves to write these darker stories has kind of, kind of diminished the comics a bit, but uh, that's for another time. Uh, Yeah. On, Moving into the book on page one, that fourth panel, 
it's a whole mess of wrong. It's you, you talk about. Yeah, uh, I know there was a big controversy a while back with the uh, Spider Woman issue, right? Where it was just basically a big butt shot from that uh, artist who did sort of erotic art, or right, Milo Manara, mm-hmm. is the gentleman's name, and it's. It's the same sort of idea. It's Jenny. In- this is a classic what they call broke back pose. Mm-hmm. There is it- no way that a person's body could contort in that manner and be physically able to move afterwards. Uh, her her butt is facing us. Both cheeks are pretty well apparent looking towards us. Her body is twisted toward the right, so her chest is facing toward us as well. Her left leg looks like it's twisted in an unnatural way, and, and that's just that's just the design of the character. Then yeah. you've got the weird look of her uniform, which is an amalgam of her Green Lantern uniform, sort of Wonder Woman from the 90s era, where she wasn't technically Wonder Woman, where it was Diana, and she was wearing the biker shorts. Right. And jazzercise leggings. What is interesting, though, um, is that he's using, even though the top half is very influenced by the uniform she's wearing now, the symbol she has is the symbol that she had when she was first introduced. Oh, yeah. the from, As Jade, yeah. The inf- from, like, the Infinity Incorporated mm-hmm. era. That kind of butterfly, that kind of like green butterfly kind of symbol. Yeah, the that's an it's an interesting amalgam of design styles but i don't know just the physicality of it just doesn't make any sense and visually it's it's a mess yes it is i don't really have any notes until about page four uh where here's what i like uh, here's why i say that i like eaglesham's art more in this issue his facial expressions are really really good mm-hmm. in this in this little sequence with although that once again we have this weird anatomy where it looks like she suddenly is without shoulders yeah the the pouty Ginny here on here i i think he draws her at least to look female she doesn't she doesn't mm-hmm. have the impossibly thin waist and absolutely no abdomen so right. But yeah, her shoulders do look a bit wonky. I'm getting sick and tired of Eagle Sham drawing John Stewart with the goofy sting circular glasses. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't fit with me. He borrowed them from Blade <laughs> next universe over. Now that you mention it, yes, he does look a lot like Blade in this. I don't get it. I think people have commented before when new writers come in to write John Stewart, they don't have, I mean, people know how to write Hal Jordan. People write, know how to write Guy Gardner, even if they do write him sometime as just kind of a jerk. John Stewart is one of those characters that people have a tough time grabbing onto. And I don't think he's been defined specifically enough for to allow people to give him specific character traits. So Judd Winnick is trying to make him this sort of, you know, hip character who likes aha, like Scandinavian <laughs> bands. I remember the last time that we talked about it. Yeah. So it's just, I'm getting sick of that. But yeah, Eagle Sham's work on the facial expressions. Moving on to the next page, that uh, that middle panel where you see Jenny tearing up over what's going over, what's going on with Kyle in space. Just that's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really, he really gets, you know, a, a look of concern on her face so and and once again you definitely get a sense of there being a father and daughter dynamic and not just you know two people in costume talking Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's great that alan's alan realizes that if we went up there to try and help we we just get in the way we we'd endanger ourselves and that's not what kyle wants and it, it it's great the the third panel here just him you know, grabbing Jenny and sort of giving her a hug. It's, it's, it, the art's done well, and Winnick's writing of these two characters is done really well. You've got flame barfing 
Nero here. Yeah, I was like, I, I mean, I'm wondering if that's just a construct, but it definitely looks like he's uh, it, it gives he's that going all smog. Yeah, it also, you know, it's the whole. I've seen this happen before because we've had when we had the character of Effigy in Effigy Core, we had at one of those uh, Mad Ball Head uh, Effigy Core lanterns. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one in the Red Lanterns, I guess recently, Zilius Zox, who, and the Red Lanterns are known for vomiting up the blood plasma stuff here. Yeah. So it's just another example of that. It's After that, it's just... Like well, I, I don't s- know why, but I, uh, on the next page, I just like the effect of Kyle has an outline in the third panel, where he's yeah. you know, trying to blast um, just before the non-sequitur core shows up. <laughs> yeah what the there is no reason for the Cordians to show up aside from the fact that they created the ring the idea behind them showing up well we're afraid that if he gains this power he'll come destroy us wait and... a minute, no we, we like that idea well, uh, we like that idea, but I do, uh, they don't like that idea. But you know, no, 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 no. The, the way that he goes, remember, because you have the, the accordion going like, "Oh, Nero will always kill his progenitor, so he's gonna he will annihilate us first when he becomes a god." Oh, but yeah. you're right; that's kind of a glorious thing for us. I, I change our mind. We want that to happen. Yeah, it's it it it, it does seem a little bit like padding. Like mm-hmm. maybe Eagle Sham just couldn't be bothered to draw. You know, three more pages of giant constructs fighting each other, and to to his credit, yeah, that would have felt a bit obnoxious. Just you know, an entire book of Kyle fighting and you know, Alan and Jenny and John on Earth fretting. It, it does break things up a bit, but it doesn't really add anything to the book at all. Well, the momentum stops dead during that whole sequence, mm-hmm. and. Again, I've not, I'm not too keen on the design. I mean, Equalsham's kind of got the look of the Cordians down, but it's not the same design that I'm used to from the classic look of them. So, uh, it's almost like they're trying to create a more realistic looking Cordian. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can understand that they're trying to, but the the Gil Kane created Cordians that are just sort of goofy and red looking the big bug-eyed ones yeah they were fine but yeah i understand you have to oh this is reality you have to make them look more realistic sometimes you don't have to page 13 it's nice to see that nero is trying to strangle kyle with some krishna beads which kind of makes sense considering he's talking about you know can you see me i'm your god i'm your god now I, I did not know what those are. Now, what exactly are Krishna beads? They're beads worn by the god Krishna okay. in the the Hindu faith. Now, if you've the, ever seen the if you've ever seen like portrayals of Krishna, you'll see those big round beads w- around the, his neck with, with the spikes in them. Is that is that symbolic of you know sort of self? You know, oh, I didn't see the spikes. Okay, see, I thought they were just. It would make sense, but, you know, the the fact that they've got little spiky bits on them, you know, that he's trying to strangle them with that, that's you know, just a, that seems like a... Maybe it was just something he thought was cool, I just mistook it for something else. Oh, it, regardless, yeah, it's... the the He's pulling from a lot of stuff, and it wouldn't be surprising if he was actually, if he might have been pulling from that as well, because there is a lot of talk of becoming a god and uh, obtaining godhood throughout this story. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was maybe pulling from some of the Hindu religion to uh, pull some of the elements of him. Um, page 14, you know, Kyle's had proverbially enough of uh, Nero's shit <laughs> and decides to go all Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Megazord on him. Mm-hmm. So he just basically creates a giant version of himself to, to bring Nero inside him and have a good old, Roadhouse underwear. <laughs> I think it's off. funny though that he let me, that he lets 
Nero keep on his trench coat and his combat boots. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't work well for him on the next page as he gets a boot to the head really quick. <laughs> Although, once again, that anatomy doesn't work. No, his his leg is curved inward as he's... He's keeping... like Stretch Armstrong. This is where the artwork just gets all kinds of wonky. This fight sequence, and maybe it's too... To sort of sell the surreal feel of it, but yeah. the artwork just gets really sketchy, and you know the faces. I mean, that third panel definition. where uh, Kyle is uh, kicking Nero, it doesn't make sense because the the foot is vertical, up and down, but his body is curved so that his his foot should be should be at least leaning slightly towards that side that he's uh leaning towards mm-hmm. and the way he's the way he's done it it looks like he's just shoved his foot in between mm-hmm. you know his his knees or his thighs and his abdomen it doesn't look like he's kicked him because he would have had to go in between his arms and you know over his thighs it's just this whole this whole uh goofy this whole goofy glowy light fight sequence does not work no there this is where eagle sham's artwork in the book just gets really sketchy the facial features that we raved about earlier in the book especially mm-hmm. with jenny and all that have just gone to the wayside and it's i don't know whether he was rushed or whatever but everything just looks sketchy and bad and is it just me or does nero just disappear entirely from the book yeah, pretty much. And uh, looking at that panel where the doors open up, you know, you see Kyle looking out the door and his uh, again in his BBDs. It's just like batch cam right there. It's <laughs> but it, yeah, coming soon from Fox. <laughs> oh god, it, it'll probably be right after what is in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um. But, well, that's a good show, though. Let's okay, not that's just impinge Brooklyn Nine-Nine well, that, here. That's, that, that, that's the thing. They'll have a good show followed up by a crap show, Batch Cam. Um, <laughs> but, like... yeah, after after you see Kyle staring out the, the door, you see sort of in the shadows behind him the defeated Nero. But after that, he's gone. I don't, you know, I'm looking here... You're on the next page where Kyle's looking at the two doors and Hal is the specters behind him. There's really, there was really nothing, you know, uh, Nero's nowhere to be seen. Now, I like the fact that they bring Hal in as the specter to kind of be the Jiminy Cricket to guide Kyle onto what he should be doing next. But Kyle himself does choose what he needs to do. You know, Hal's just offering him up the options that he can take. Well, he's kind of like... You know, Hal is kind of like the spirit of noncommittalness. <laughs> yeah, do what you want. I think you're okay either way. I really wish someone would have told me about this, because I, I really could have used something like this back then. But whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, it I never got used to that new Spectre design. What, with the big circle? The yeah, with of... the big circle and the whole, like, he's wearing now a unit, like, a basically a singlet. Yeah, it looks more, and his his hood looks more like Raven's hood mm-hmm. rather than the, the classic Spectre, just rounded hood. Uh, yeah. And plus him, I don't remember, did the Spectre have a domino mask? Or was no, it... no, but his his eyes would be... Would be cast in shade by the hood okay see because yeah this is just trying to incorporate i guess elements of the green uh, the classic green lantern uniform with the elements of the specter which i guess you understand you have to understand yes hal jordan is a specter now this is a way we're you know differentiating him from jim corrigan so yeah that's fine but it's i guess the design element works I am glad, however, that from this point on, Eagle Sham's art gets a lot better. Like that uh, page 19, where it's just basically shots of Hal's face and everything. That first panel of Hal's face is really good. The shading yeah. is really good. The inking is really well. There's a lot of definition on it. Significantly better than those the fight sequence between Kyle and Nero. But that leads us to 
Kyle getting all glowy and getting a new uniform. And and playing, I Which guess. Which is, of course, another thing that is uh, indicative of the Judd Winnick era. Kyle's uniform never stays the same. Yeah, I think we're going to... Yeah, I, I don't think this one stays around too long. Because, like, here in five or six issues, he changes oh, to God, the... to bondage. Chimney. Yeah, bondage lantern. Uh, see, I I remember... I'll uh, have a lot about to talk and to, to, to discuss about that costume when it shows up. Now, uh, I know I've got uh, scheduled a certain podcaster who wants to be on for issue 150. Uh, mm-hmm. She she has told me that she will uh, physically fight anyone if uh, she does not get to talk about that Yes, but uh, it's it's interesting. I, I, I like the fact that Winnick has incorporated both the Circle of Fire storyline and the Final Night storyline. He incorporates a, a lot of stuff. I mean, he incorporates Day of Judgment too. Mm-hmm. With with how becoming the Spectre. Yeah, the, there's Winnix. I think done a really good job of taking a lot of the stuff that has come prior to this, not throwing it out and incorporating it into into his run of non the character. And I'm really interested to see where this Ion thing goes forth from here. Like I said, I have some ideas. I know there are some things that happen that Kyle does with his ion power, but I also know that eventually I think he gives it up. But right. this is this is an interesting new direction to take the character, and I'm I'm really liking what Winnick has done with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, this unwittingly is another is actually retroactively the first sign of the whole Jeff John's concept of the different avatars of the different lantern cores. Mm-hmm. Because, because I know. Of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Because the ion is of course the, uh, the avatar of the green. Yes. I, I like that idea, you know, and again, I guess you could say this is Jeff John's taking what, happened prior and you know manipulating in to use for his own storyline so i liked or i like the concept of the the multicolored core and them each having their own avatar and i like that it kind of starts from this point here that judd winnick is the one to uh to sort of set that as a as a template for the rest of jeff johns's run I enjoy the issue. Aside from yeah. the, uh, the wonky artwork by Eaglesham, the hit and miss stuff, because there's stuff in here that's really amazing, and then there's stuff in here that's just horribly bad. You know, I, I, I'm hoping he gets a handle on it pretty soon. I think I figured out what happened with Nero. Remember the the whole, the real reason the Quardians showed up mm-hmm. was to attach that teleport device to him. Oh yeah. Maybe Probably they, this. I mean, uh, it, it makes no sense because we we never hear about it again. But maybe that's what happened. He got teleported and then was never heard from again because I don't think he shows up again. Okay. Well, I will. You know, like I said, I'll keep a lookout on this because, like I like I've said many times before, I'm reading this for the first time myself, mm-hmm. not read ahead. And I, if Nero shows up again, because I know other bad guys show up again from Kyle's previous run, but. uh yeah, because we saw Fatality. We saw. I forgot that we saw Graven again. Mm-hmm. And you know, later on near the end, we'll be seeing you know a major, get it, major villain yes. who uh, uh, had an impact on Kyle's uh, early career. So, uh, you know, uh, I will keep an eye out for Nero. Uh, no, I won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I will not say it because a, a really tasteless joke popped into my head. Oh no! Say it, so. and we'll edit it out. Oh. He had a greater impact on somebody else's career, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that career kind of ended quickly. Ah, oh. yes. uh, by ad- Kathy Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see ads for this book. There's still nothing really that good. We've got a PlayStation ad for the game Burnout, which is just basically a racing game where you smash into stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Nikki Six advertising this giant tumor filled boom box so do you remember when cancer bo- box <laughs> uh yeah well it's 
do you remember when boomboxes thought it'd be really neat to put all these little woofers and tweeters along yes. with the two big speakers and it looks like there's just weird circular things coming off them this is what it looks like and you know we've seen this advertisement before well this is the the the, the death throes of the boombox yes now yeah we, we i remember a while back we had the mini disc and that mm-hmm sort of trying to catch on. We haven't come to... I've seen an advertisement, I think, for a very first-generation MP3 player, but right. we haven't gotten to, like, iPods yet, to, like, the iPod Classic yet. Uh, we get another one of those... It's, isn't it just so weird that, that like, boomboxes and CD players and that are pretty much things of the past? Mm-hmm. Well, you think about it... Yeah, the 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 transfer from cassette deck. You know, I remember as as a youth having a Walkman or mm-hmm. a cassette player. You know, you listened. You know, that was that was phenomenal. And, you know, the fact that you could you know run around with you know listening to your favorite band and flip over the cassette and all that, and then CD players and CD boomboxes. And now you've you know on you can get an iPod with 128 gig of memory and have you know, your entire musical library and then some on it. So yeah, it's, it's amazing the way things have advanced. Um, you get the tobacco is wacko ad again, of course, only if you're a teen. So yeah, smoke them up. If you're an adult, an advertisement for the game boy version of Wario land Four. they had four Wario <laughs> land games. Maybe they Apparently. just, Maybe they just released number four and didn't release one through three and just, you know, let people think that uh, this was a big sequel. You get a a game for the PlayStation 2 that I have never seen. It's Batman Vengeance, and it's based off the uh, designs from the uh, Batman the Animated Series sort of in a 3D mode. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool looking. An ad for R-Zone, which I guess is a Nintendo GameCube thing. No idea. I never played that. The silly watches and Starburst ad. The weird sort of ad for the PlayStation Kinetico or Kinetica game. Uh, same Dragon Warrior thing. You've got the Harry Potter uh, trading card game. Quidditch Cup. I don't know. It doesn't say that it's... I don't think it's Wizards of the Coast. Nah. Well, you got to realize the success of magic mm-hmm. uh got everybody into the collectible card game you even you had a dungeons and dragons card game you had um card game based on uh vampire the masquerade which was unfortunately named jihad and got pulled Ooh. very quickly that's um, especially after yeah after 9-11 i'm certain that didn't sell at all wow no uh, no you had um Marvel eventually put out. Uh, it was weird. Marvel's was was halfway between an RPG and a collectible card game. Hmm. In that you had uh, a standard RPG rule book, but your combat system was card based. Hmm. So I mean, everybody wanted to get in the collectible card market, the collectible card game market. You had a Doctor Who collectible card game. <laughs> you check and. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that there was a, a Harry Potter collectible card game. Uh, it's neat. And the, uh, the advertisement for it is more the, uh, the classic, uh, book art rather mm-hmm. than, because I don't think at this time, well, no, I don't know if the movie the, started at that point. I'm gonna assume it hasn't because the advertisement, uh, has sort of the, the story art that you'd see on the books with, the the, the stylized look of the Harry Potter, Harry Potter character. Uh, next ad is an advertisement for the Pikmin game for the GameCube. Uh, my kids played that. I guess you. Okay, actually, I'm, I'm looking at the. I did a little wiki mm-hmm. diving, and it turns out that the first, um, the first Harry Potter film was a year earlier. Okay, so so they had come out with the Daniel Radcliffe Daniel Radcliffe yeah. movie. Uh, but yeah, they just decided to use the character design from the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, more advertisements for video games, Pikmin and Virtua Fighter 4. We've got Golden Sun, which I guess is 
violinist with flaming bows shooting a demon. I don't get it. That's a weird advertisement. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like a, a some concert violinist in their in their tuxedos holding okay. the violins with their their bowstrings, the ends of them on fire. It looks like they're getting ready to shoot them at this shadow of a demon that's looming on the uh, red curtain behind them. It's what the hell, people. <laughs> Uh, Crash Bandicoot again. I don't because know. every uh gaming system needs to have a 2D animal based model um mascot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a anti drug ad that has like it looks like the kids from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody with the older kids saying I like wrestling and the younger kids saying I like wrestling and. You know, going down through the other thing. Because I cartoons are cool. Or cartoons are for kids. I grind handrails. And I don't smoke weed. It's not my thing. So basically saying, older brothers, don't smoke weed. Or your younger brothers will smoke weed. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, another video game advertisement for Looney Tunes Sheep Raider. <laughs> really? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Rejected names for the Indiana Jones series part one. <laughs> Sheep Raider. Uh that's the that's the gay porn version that would happen. <laughs> oh. uh, or, or maybe something else. Uh I guess it's supposed to be I'm looking at the advertisement. I guess it's supposed to be um the what Wiley Coyote and the the sheepdog mm-hmm. sort of based off that based off those cartoons. Yeah. Uh oh, we get a we get an advertisement in the back for uh the Frank Miller Lynn Varley uh comic The Dark Knight Strikes Again. Remember how great that comic was? Oh gosh, yes. No one remembers. Flash in his Nike trainers. Oh, this was just uh this was just bad. And it the thing it was so delayed, I remember it. Mm-hmm. It was just really not worth it. It kind of diminished all the the goodwill Frank Miller had built up from, you know, year one and the Dark Knight, you know, returns and just turned it on its head because I remember right. that being bad. Um, Super Smash Brothers for the uh, GameCube. Uh, I know my kids love those things. And the back outside cover is an advertisement for Oddworld Munch's Odyssey, another sort of platformer that I never played because I never had I, – I didn't have an Xbox, so no idea. Okay. But, uh, see, I was more of a fight game guy than a platformer guy. See, I, I, I like the uh, – my last actual console before I had kids and had to get the Wii and the Wii U and the Xbox 360 – was a Sega Genesis, and I loved the heck out of playing uh, Mortal Kombat because you could you could do the fatality modes on Mortal mm. Kombat on the Sega Genesis. So my favorite console. game, I had a Sega Genesis console too. My favorite game was StarCraft. Oh, that was fun. I remember that. I loved that, and the weirdest game I ever had for Sega Genesis. I'm trying to. It was called, I think, Pilot Wings. Hmm. It was, I swear I'm not making this up, an airport simulator game. <laughs> and yet I was fascinated by it in that you, you, you run a, an air, airline company, you build terminals around the world. Your ambition is to get a terminal in every continent in the world. I, I think I played this before. I think I remember this. And you, you have to determine you know, which, which flights – work best going from one place to another, right. whether and you which, want to spend uh, money on bigger flights or more flights from this one place. and Exactly. And how many planes for each terminal. And you have to kind of anticipate what the hottest destinations are going to be. Mm-hmm. God, it, I remember that. It, it was so, it was a Japanese game that for some that, that they ported over here. And I just remember playing that for hours yeah, it's one of the. It's probably one of those games that sort of predates the the Sims or mm-hmm. uh, Civilization or Sim City type games. But it's one of these games where you have to have a strategy of doing these things. And it, you know, it's uh, I I, rem- I definitely remember playing that. And yeah, that was a fun game. 
But video games. Ah, uh, Sega Genesis. I loved my Sega Genesis. I played the heck out of it. All 16 bits of it. Uh, if you were lucky, you could save up and get the 32X. Right. And play like Doom 32X. And it was like, oh, I'm playing. Oh, not. Yeah, it was Doom. It wasn't Quake. Because yeah. uh, Doom was like the game. That was the sh man. Do you remember? Okay. Yes, folks. Well, go ahead. Just one of the guys for all your video, <laughs> old school video gaming needs. Somebody put together it was it was a kind of like a Doom reskin with like an alien um, based concept, and you were like going up um, a high, like a a high rise, and killing these like insectile monsters. I never saw that. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was well, that's another game where I played forever in a day. I would literally say for a whole afternoon playing this thing and trying to get to the the final with the penthouse, which is the final uh, boss stage. Yeah, it's, I, it, I, I I played the heck out of Doom, and you know, I, the, it, it led to my love of you know, computer-based first-person mm-hmm. shooters like Quake and Quake 2 and Unreal and all that. So, you know, consoles, console-wise, I, I never really got into, like, the Call of Duty and the stuff with the Xbox or the 360 or the PlayStation, but those old-school computer first-person shooter games and Doom on the Sega Genesis was just so much fun. But, yeah, that that has nothing to do with to do it. does it? <laughs> but, uh, the there never was a, a green a Green Lantern video game was there, except for of course when the movie came out. There was, yeah, there was that Green Lantern game that came out from the movie, and there was one I think for the Wii <laughs> called Rise of the Manhunters. Oh yeah, that's right, because it was based on the cartoon, wasn't it? I think they had I think they had one that came out that was based loosely on the cartoon, but I think that came out well after the movie. Do you remember, and this was another Sega Genesis uh, cartridge, the uh, Justice League of America fight game? Yes, it was basically Mortal Kombat for the Justice League characters. And I remember renting that one time mm-hmm. and being pretty disappointed because it, it the controls didn't work as well as, say, Mortal yeah. Kombat did. You well, couldn't like, get the, the, the power attacks to go right. up very often. Because it was the 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 Magnificent Seven, Green Arrow, Despero, and Darkseid, I think, were the playable characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was, of course, but I mean, the toughest fight game on Sega Genesis was the one called Eternal Champions. Remember that? Yes, I do. Which I loved. I loved, but it was, you had to like mash all these buttons and stuff and be in the right place to get your power move up. Oh gosh, I, there weren't a lot of like those super because the other the only other superhero based fight game that wasn't of course the Capcom stuff was Namco put out a game called Avengers Galactic Storm. See, I I've I've seen the Avengers games like the uh, the platformers, yeah, sort of the platformers like the side scrolling uh, right. Avengers games that was based off the arcade version. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the 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 company that put that out because they they had. One for uh, the Avengers, because it was called Captain America and the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And then they had, a, I know they had a Spider-Man one that had, they had a Spider-Man, Spider-Man one, Black and they Cat, had a X-Men, X-Men one. Yeah. Um, this one was didn't have a lot of penetration. It was made by Namco. It was a 3D fight game based on, of all things, Operation Galactic Storm. Okay. So you had all of these 90s versions. They couldn't use any like the major characters. So it was like the Black Knight and Thunderstrike and Giant Man. And I think the Black... No, Crystal. Really? And Hercules. And they had like... You you could also play as the Kree. So you could play as uh, the Great Intelligence, the the Supreme Intelligence or Captain... uh, uh, Whatever the Captain... Whatever her name was. You know, uh, just it was just such a weird, weird, and it was very badly animated, and it did not get a lot of penetration. Was was this a console game? Was this? Like it was a console Genesis? game. 
Hmm, I have not ever heard of this. Look it up. Like I said, it's called Avengers Galactic. I think it's called Avengers Galactic Storm. I Look it up online because you could probably find screenshots, and the screenshots will show you just how shoddy this, this game was. I'm certain uh, there's probably stuff on YouTube as well. Yeah. There's always stuff on YouTube. It's one like innovation. It used like the tag team model that Capcom used. Okay. So you got to choose two characters, plus you got to choose a third character who was kind of your uh, ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say you were playing, uh, you had Giant Man has your as your your third character, and if you press the buttons in the right combination, Giant Man would go to giant size, grab your opponent, and squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Okay. And then let him go. Uh, for, and it would take up a lot of points. It was a, like I said, not a very good game. But. Yeah, and then I've played the the Capcom, you know, like Marvel versus Capcom mm-hmm. type games for the, for the console, and it sounds like just the sort of early version of that. That that's cool. I may have to go seek that out. But uh, I guess <laughs> since we since we're talking video games, you know, we are done with talking Green Lantern. So next time out, we're going to be taking a look at where Kyle heads with the whole Ion storyline. So. Hopefully you guys will be back in seven days for the next episode of Just One of the Guys. Thomas, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure to be here, my friend. It's great to get to talk to you. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Good night. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scan the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast and you you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well. And now you can find me there as it was a requirement of my new Demonsacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander. The opening music for today's show was Naked and Famous from the band The Presidents of the United States of America. Off their album, cleverly titled The Presidents of the United States of America. If you'd like to buy this song or buy this album, again, another good choice because The Presidents are just a fun, fun band. But if you want to get either the song or the album, the best place to go would be Amazon.com. And the best way to get to Amazon.com, of course, is through the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Go ahead, hit up the website at twotruefreaks.com, click on the banner in the upper left-hand side of the page, and anything that you purchase there at amazon.com will shoot a little bit of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but whenever you're wanting to buy music, games, movies, books, or whatever from Amazon, it would always help if you use the link at twotruefreaks.com. Have you been watching uh, Constantine? Have you watched that? Oh, God, yes. You know, I, you know, I know pretty much jack all about Constantine or Hellblazer, but I've been enjoying the heck out of it. I, the, I didn't see, I don't know if they did one after Thanksgiving. I, I yes, they, they did. They did. But I saw um, the one before that where they introduced Jim Corrigan of all people. I was like, and they the specter. The specter. The, and I saw at the very end, you know, he, he's dead. He's had gunshots through him and he's got this green haze around him. I'm like, yeah. oh man, they're going to do was the like, specter. Oh, please. And they even had the specter created by Jerry Siegel. Yes. Then that was, 
that was real. I'm certain that was probably part of the contractual obligation yeah. that they had to do, that they had to put the names for all the sequel creations. So if, you know, who else is Doctor? Yeah, I'm sorry. Doctor Occult, yeah. Doctor Occult is ever in there, so. It's it's weird. Um, the episode that, that aired this past Friday felt like the second episode. Okay. Because it, uh, Zed's nowhere to be seen. It's also directed by Neil Marshall, who directed the pilot. Mm-hmm. And there's like this really badly overdubbed line at, at the very beginning saying, well, Zed's busy elsewhere. Oh, just one of those things to kind of, yeah, like this was shot out of order and, you know, we have exactly. Hmm. And it's, uh, I've been very impressed. I, there's some people who like are complaining that it's more like the, the, the new 52 version of Constantine, but I don't, I don't agree with that. They're adapting a couple of stories have been adapted directly from the Hellblazer run, Hmm. particularly the one about the, the hunger demon. Oh yeah. The one about the hunger demon is, uh, the first, uh, the first storyline in the, in the Hellblazer comic done by Jeremy Delano. Huh. Well, that's so. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, because, because I haven't read pretty much, much of anything of Hellblazer or of John Constantine. So, uh, you know, to find out that they're actually trying to adapt some of the stuff from the early run is, is nice to hear because, uh, yeah, everyone seemed to think that, oh, it was just going to be the, an adaptation of the new 52 stuff, and I'm glad to see that. So that's cool. Well, he's not Dr. Strange. From what I understand, the new 52 uh, Constantine is, is Dr. Strange without a costume. Hmm. You know, bl- shooting energy blasts and stuff. This is definitely the Constantine of Vertigo, who has to have the right tools and has to have the right, has to actually figure out mm-hmm. what the right spell is before he can do anything. Yeah, I like the fact that he's. It's not that he's arrogant, but he's kind of presumptuous of how things are going to turn out and mm-hmm. very often is wrong in his presumptions. And he gets he's his fallible. ass handed. Yes, he gets, he's very fallible. He gets his ass handed to him quite often, which which I like. I like the fact that he's not the he, he's not the supreme magician who knows everything that, you know, uh, on occasion he has to pull it out of his ass. And uh, there was that. The one with the hunger demon you mentioned. Yeah. You know, he had to sacrifice his friend at the end mm-hmm. of it to uh, to you know d- banish the demon. So yeah, granted his friend you know was a junkie and he wanted to do it to sort of redeem himself. But you know this was this was an interesting character arc. It was probably something that he didn't want to do. And I I so far I've been impressed with it. Yeah, and I love the version of Papa Midnight we've gotten so far. Uh, he he's cool. Whoever's playing him does a great, great job of this yeah. sort of creepy, um, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana uh, voodoo doctor. I I really enjoy that. I'm beginning to wonder. I know that they've they've already said that they're going to try to do their version of um, the the mortal sin storyline where uh, John finds out he has lung cancer. See, <clears throat> they've teased every once in a while. You see him with the cigarette in hand or right. putting it out, but supposedly you, you had you know I heard this episode or the recent one you saw him actually smoking, mm-hmm. but you know they've tried to shy away from that. And I think, you know, I know the whole politically correct thing that smoking yeah. is bad, and you know they probably get incentives from the the studios and the companies that they they actually get incentives smoke. from the government. Believe it or not, the government has a, a program where they get a tax break or something if they um, discourage smoking. If you've ever seen Buffy, yeah, oh, yeah. anytime anytime a character smokes, that character is doomed. Hmm. See, because it's such an integral part of the character to mm-hmm. take that away from them. I mean, and, and I like the fact that they've also been portraying John as kind of a bastard i mean he's he is, not yeah he, he's not and he's not necessarily a hero he's a person who's trying to do the right thing but he's not he's not you know the flash he's not superman he he he, he does it his own way and i think making him fallible and giving him this this addiction you know smoking is it's part of his care and it's disappointing that we're so 
caught up on the whole idea that no one can smoke because that it's just so bad. It just irritates me. But uh, well, and well, I mean, this is a good time to be, uh, you know, a comic book guy because we're getting we're getting good films in the in the theaters. Um, okay. and we're getting good adaptations.